Mike, at any point in your coaching career, did you ever have an interest or express an interest in being a head coach in the college game? And do you have any idea how that may or may not have led to folks like Ryan and Doug Whaley and Carson Palmer connecting you to some college jobs? Hey, guys, I don't have time for that speculation. I mean, that's a joke to me. Um, I got one of the best jobs in, in all of professional sport. Why would I have any interest in coaching college football? Um, that'll be the last time that I address it. And not only today, but moving forward. Never say never, but never. Okay? Anybody else got any questions about any college jobs? There's not a booster with a big enough blank check. Thank you. Anybody asking Sean Payton about that? You know, anybody asking Andy Reid about stuff like that? I think I peed a little bit, Shireen. It has nothing to do with my prostate issues. Hey, that was Mike Tomlin asked today about the reports, rumors, whatever, linking him to the job at USC. Carson Palmer, who told Dan Patrick yesterday he's involved in the search, threw Mike Tomlin's name into the ring and wouldn't let it go. So Tomlin had to be asked about it, and he was upset about it. And if you want to shoot something down, that's the way to do it. Perfunctory denials are never believed. Something like that, angry, sustained, yeah, I believe Mike Tomlin. I'm afraid not to believe him. Good afternoon, Shereen. Hi, Mike. Love your hoodie today. And I matched you. I wore my purple because I knew you had your Chuck Foreman hoodie on. Happy 70th birthday, Chuck Foreman. We'll talk more about him later, but he was my first favorite football player. It was him, Fran Targenton, John Gilliam in that same time frame, but he was the first one. So great guy. I've gotten to know him a little bit via Twitter, which eight-year-old version of me would pee not a little bit but a lot at the thought of that so happy birthday chuck and we'll be talking more about that but yeah this tomlin thing i i think it's awesome because again and and if he ever makes a perfunctory denial about a rumor in the future it's gonna be like hey you know i'm not so sure about this one because he went all out on usc we see what it's like when there is something that truly has no truth to it and i respect the fact that he shut it down, and he shouted it down, and he's not going to play some leverage game to get a raise out of the Roonies. He's never going to college. There isn't a check big enough that a booster can write. I just love that. Oh, he was great, Mike, and that's the way to do it, certainly. Now, I'll add two things to this. One, he should have been asked this because Carson Palmer, who's involved in the search, brought up his name. It's not like they made this up and just said, hey, maybe you'll go to USC because you're on the verge of missing the playoffs for the third time in four years. And maybe the Steelers will be looking for a chance. I mean, they didn't ask any of that. His name came up in the search. That's number one. And number two, yes, frankly, Sean Payton has been asked about the USC job. 2015. His name and also that Pete Carroll was mentioned in the USC job in 2015. They both had to deny that they were interested in the USC job. Of course, they neither one went. And now here we are again with USC changing coaches. And now it's Mike Tomlin's name attached to the thing. But if I'm a reporter in Pittsburgh, I'm also scared to ask him ever again about a coaching search, Mike. But they are doing their jobs. They have to ask him. Judge for yourself. Here's Carson Palmer from yesterday's Dan Patrick show putting Mike Tomlin's black and gold hat into the USC ring. Here he is. You can't have a lot of front runners, Carson. You can have a front runner. You've got Penn State. You've got Iowa State. You've got Cincinnati. You've got a wild card like uh, Mike Tomlin. That that If Mike Tomlin wants out, and and I think – you know, at the end of the day, there is not a direct, that's the guy everybody's pointing their fingers at. Hey, and by the way, people give me a hard time when I do Zoom from my basement and they say it's like a Game of Thrones set. I don't want to hear that again after seeing the Carson Palmer background. That's ultra next level. That is crazy. I'm waiting for a dragon to show up and turn him into uh, French fries. But... um Look, he, yeah, there it is. It's awesome. I, I love it. I mean, you can't hide money, as Chris Sims would say. But regardless, <laughs> Tomlin's name was out there. He had to be asked the question. And you mentioned Sean Payton. He was, for one period of time, 
hounded relentlessly every year he was linked to some sort of speculation about leaving the Saints. I mean, whether it's linking a guy to USC, linking a guy to another NFL job, anything like that that creates something he gets asked about and becomes an irritant. I got the term Sunday splash reports from Peyton because that's how he would dismiss the rumors linking him to other teams. I've seen people try to suggest that that other coaches don't go through this, and there's this subtle suggestion that there's a racial component to it. Folks, look, there are plenty of horrible racist things that are done and said, but Mike Tomlin being asked about the USC job and this suggestion that, like, white coaches aren't asked those questions, I'm I'm not going there. I will not go there. That's a bridge too far for me when it comes to finding potential racial bias in things. Because there's no difference between Mike Tomlin, Sean Payton, John Harbaugh got asked about Michigan after he won a Super Bowl. Before they hired Jim, John's name reportedly was at the top of the list, and he got asked about it. it and, and you know what? If Andy Reid didn't have Patrick Mahomes, and if he wasn't in his early 60s, maybe his name would come up for another job. The bottom line is USC is going big name hunting. And they may be able to put together a package that would compare favorably to what the Roonies pay Mike Tomlin. I don't know. I don't know how big the check would be, but maybe there is a check out there that's big enough to get someone's attention. Mike Tomlin just happened to be the first name that came up, and I have a feeling he won't be the last. Hell, when Jeff Fisher was in the NFL, and he went to a Super Bowl, I know people like to clown Jeff Fisher because he was, you know, Mr. 7-9. and He's coached a hell of a lot of games. He's won a hell of a lot of games. He was linked to USC in the past as well. Now, he went there. There's a more of an obvious connection. But still, I, I, I don't think it's an insult. If anything, yeah. it's positive. I, you know, it's an irritant. you got to deal with it. But it's good to have your name come up for these other jobs. There are plenty of NFL coaches whose names aren't coming up for any jobs anywhere. Nick Sirianni ain't coming up for a job anywhere right now. All due respect to Nick. Uh, there are plenty of coaches, and I don't want to keep naming names and pissing people off, but your name only comes up for a job that they're trying to make a big job if it's a big name. It's, it's more of a compliment than an insult. That's my point. Yeah, and Joe Brady last week was asked about the LSU job, Mike. Obvious connection there with Joe Brady having won yeah, the national yeah. championship when Joe, he was Joe calling Brady that may get, Joe Brady think, may get fired the way things are going in Carolina, but I need to get your point. Yeah, and, but, you know, I do think it's a compliment, and we're going to talk about the Rooney Rule shortly and what they've done in the NFL. I think it's great that, that they're looking at minority candidates in colleges and elsewhere, and I hope they do it more in the NFL because that's something that hasn't happened. So I think it's a compliment. I think it's a compliment to Mike Tomlin. Now, I back to the original point, I think he handled it well. I don't think he's going to be asked about it again, and I got the feeling that the, the, he is not going to any college job, and why would you, Frank? Frankly, to me, the Pittsburgh Steelers are the safest, best NFL job, probably the best job in pro sports. I mean, there's so much security there. The Steelers don't fire coaches. He's had success there, never had a losing record. This might be the first one, but never had a losing record. They're not going to fire Mike Tomlin at the end of the year, even if he misses the playoffs for the third time in four years, even if he hasn't won a Super Bowl since his second season. We know that. They are going to stick with Mike Tomlin. And you know what? If they got rid of Mike Tomlin, he'd have a job within a few days. There'd be several teams in the NFL that would be interested in Mike Tomlin. And the bottom line is what Tomlin said was far more convincing than one of the all-time great non-denial denials that we heard from Nick Saban late December of 2006. Let's just have a trip down memory lane for old time's sake. I've said it three different occasions. Well, then I guess I have to say it. I'm not going to be the Alabama coach. I think I've said this over and over and over again. Yeah, and uh, two weeks later, he was the Alabama coach. I'll say this, though, about the Steelers. They don't pay top of the market. And we don't know how much the highest-paid coaches are making because the teams have a way of using shell companies to funnel extra money that there's never any record of at the league office. You think, oh, here comes Conspiracy Mike, and please don't put up the photo. It's true. It happens. They don't know how much the highest-paid coaches are making because that prevents the the tide from rising for the guys who aren't the highest-paid. So if Bill Belichick's officially making 15, yeah, there's another five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe floating around 
that's being funneled to him. Same thing with Sean Payton. Same thing with Sean McVay. Same thing with Pete Carroll. They get money delivered to them other ways. My, my point is this. The Steelers are never going to be in that range. And I remember when Bill Cowher resigned after the 2006 season, opening the door for Mike Tomlin. I remember thinking, look, he had just beaten Mike Holmgren in a Super Bowl. Holmgren was making about $8.5 million a year at the time. Cowher's making about five. The Roonies are never paying more than that, you know, in, in relation to growth. I mean, it's grown since then, but they're never going top of the market. I remember believing when Cowher first resigned, he was going to take a few years off and then come back and make a hell of a lot more, make top of the market, and make up all the money that he would have made if he would have kept coaching the Steelers in between and then some. He just ultimately decided that he liked that seat at the NFL today. It's an easier life than hanging on wins and losses, and he never left it, and he never will. But, you know, there was a time after a few years he considered the Jets' job, and if, if they would have fired Mike Tannenbaum at the time, I think Cowher would have taken the job. He wanted to have his own table setter. So, um, you know, the, my point is this. Mike Tomlin has been there since 2000, and seven maybe there's at some point another nfl job where the owner would pay him a hell of a lot more than what he's making now i think that's a far greater possibility than ever going to any college job especially after what he said today shireen and i tell you what i would rather coach in the nfl than in college because you don't have to recruit to me recruiting would be a pain in the butt but college coaches are very well paid you know i went to AM and we just paid clarksburg west virginia native 90 million guarantee he is making nine million a year mike and has 90 million guaranteed in his contract so coaches in college are well paid for what they get if you think they're not they are so they can get paid in college, they can get paid in the pros, but there probably is a booster who would write a blank check to, to Mike Tomlin worth well more than he's making with the Steelers, I would imagine. And it's a lot easier to pay college coaches a lot of money when you are exploiting your labor pool and the players aren't getting yep. a penny. And you know what? Maybe philosophically he's not interested in coaching at that level where the players aren't fairly compensated for their efforts. I know the name, image, and likeness exception has created a path for some to make money, but none of that money's coming from the programs. None of it, not a penny. Right. They found a way to get somebody else to do what they should do, which is pay the players. And maybe Mike Tomlin wants nothing to do with that, but he's not going to come out and say it because NFL coaches like to tiptoe around the free farm system known as college football. All right, owners are together for the first time in New York City. Since December of 2019, the pandemic caused multiple rounds of meetings to be virtual. They are together, and uh, it's not an ideal time for owners to be in a position where they can be hounded by reporters because of this whole Washington football team investigation and email scandal. There was a letter that was delivered by former employees of the Washington football team asking to uh, have the result of the investigation made public. There's the two-page letter. You can find it online. I I would need a telescope at this point to see what any of it says. I'm sure we have something posted on it on PFT, and we'll analyze the issues as we have been doing for the past couple of weeks. But, you know, the bottom line is, and I go back to July 1 when the NFL announced the results, not the results, but the punishment, not the findings, but the consequences of the 10-month investigation when they shared no specifics about why they did what they did, the $10 million fine imposed on Daniel Snyder, the exile of Daniel Snyder, whether it was voluntary or not, he claims it's voluntary. Whether he needs commissioner approval to come back or not, reportedly he does, he claims he doesn't. But my belief has always been, Shireen, that if they would tell us why they did what they did to Snyder, if we knew the facts and the allegations that supported the consequences that were meted out against him, I think it would be as untenable for him to continue as the owner as it was for John Gruden to continue as the coach of the Raiders. Once we know about it, there's no going back. Just like the Donald Sterling tape, when it became available, untenable for him to continue to own the L.A. Clippers, even though it was a private conversation. Once we know about it, it's over. I think they've been hiding this stuff in part because they know if it comes out, Snyder is done 
And they're not necessarily protecting him as much as they're protecting each other from ever being in a similar situation. They don't want to create a precedent where they put this dirty laundry out there that forces one of the oligarchs to sell off his his NFL team, plain and simple. No question. It's billionaires protecting billionaires, Mike. And they are going to have an owners-only meeting tomorrow morning to discuss this. Supposedly, there won't be much said because they don't want it leaking out. But they do need to address everything about this. Who leaked the John Gruden stuff? Is there more out there? What's going to happen now? Congress is involved. There's much to discuss on this. So I'll be interested to see if anything comes out of that owners-only meeting in the morning, if we're going to hear anything about what was said. And and I I don't think Commissioner Goodell is going to speak until tomorrow after that. So he'll have to answer those questions, as well as questions, obviously, about Deshaun Watson's future, whether he'll be placed on the commissioner exempt list. And that's easy, because all he's got to say is, we've got no decision to make until there's a reason to consider it. That's been their position, and I expect him to articulate that tomorrow. I will be interested to see how aggressively he is questioned about the WFT situation. I think back to Rachel Nichols when she was all over Goodell in the Ray Rice press conference after he came out, frankly, of an extended period of hiding following the embarrassment and the and the controversy that nearly brought him down. It's easy to forget seven years later how close he was because there were real questions being asked at the highest levels of the league. Why are we putting ourselves through this headache? We can find somebody else to do what this guy does. I mean, they were saying that. They were saying that. Hey, and that's what laid the foundation for Jerry Jones to make a run at him three years later. We could pay somebody else a hell of a lot less money to, to guide this cruise ship through clear, open water, which is how they view most of what they do. And it only gets awkward when the commissioner is expected to, to take the sword for something that the owners have done or that they want to do. So... It is going to be interesting tomorrow. I don't expect much to be shared in the room, but uh, I think they all understand. Bottom line is, if Snyder goes, if he ultimately is out because this information comes out, it creates a template that could be used against any of them at any time. And what it does, here's why it strikes fear in the hearts of, of the owners. They're vulnerable at that point to any allegations of any impropriety, whether it's actual, whether it's exaggerated, whether it's embellished, whether it's fabricated, somebody starts claiming you did something, you're going to be more likely to write a check to make it go away because you don't want that person going public, filing a lawsuit, creating what eventually could reach, if there's others who join in, a critical mass that starts an investigation. Then you get audited by the league. Beth Wilkinson or someone like her shows up and investigates, and then all this stuff comes out, and the next thing you know, you got to sell your team, and, and you're standing there saying, what did I do? I didn't do anything wrong. Although they might not, you know, sometimes they don't realize how wrong the things they say or do are. That's what they're trying to avoid. That's why they're protecting Dan Snyder, because they don't want to be in a similar situation. So uh, the congressional side of it, I think, is fascinating, because November 4 is the deadline that was set by the chairperson of the committee on oversight and reform, and, uh, and we'll, we'll see if they are willing to give up any of the information. Meanwhile, get ready to hear We're Here for Football. That's what Woody Johnson said earlier. I have a feeling that is the T-shirt slogan that has been distributed by the, uh, the league to make it easier for the owners to keep moving if reporters ask any questions about this. We're Here for Football. As if, Shereen, this isn't part and parcel of the business of football. Yeah, it's crazy, Mike. And he stepped in it with that. And I don't know if he realizes exactly what he's done with that comment, but that's just stupid. And I I just, I, I don't know what he was thinking when he said that, but it is part of football and they do have to address it, whatever they're going to say. At least it'll be Commissioner Goodell. I know all of them have tried. The owners have tried to avoid the media today. They've done their best to do that. They'll probably continue to try to do that tomorrow. Some of them probably will have to talk. Um, Jerry Jones loves to talk, as we know, so it'll be interesting if they get Jerry and what Jerry will have to say. But we're here for football. We're here for football, and you can't force him to say anything more than that. But what we can do is point out that they're clearly reciting talking points that someone crafted so they don't have to talk about something that maybe they should 
be talking about because they are the league. Woody Johnson said this is a league matter. They are the league. You are the league. Yep. You're the ones who determine whether or not these things are going to be public or private. You're the ones who make the decisions. The commissioner is, as Tom Curran said years ago, and I use it all the time, the highest paid pincushion in the world. He's the guy who stands up there and takes the heat while the oligarchs hide behind the curtain and set the policy and do the unpopular things and make the unpopular decisions. And then, oh, it's just we're here for football. No, you're the league. And this is part of football, and we'll see what happens. By the way, Alan Lazard, Packers receiver, placed on the COVID reserve list a close contact with Devontae Adams, which means that's how we find out. No one's going to say officially who is and isn't vaccinated. Alan Lazard, not vaccinated. Because if he was, he would not be knocked out for five days under the close contact rule. So uh, when they lost Adams... You have to assume you're going to lose somebody else from your receiver room. And there goes Alan Lazard. So they don't have either of them for Thursday night. They've got Randall Cobb, Amari Rogers, Equinemius St. Brown. Malik Taylor came off of COVID. So they got four receivers for Thursday night. But they don't have Lazard and they don't have Devontae Adams. I think Marquez Valdez-Scantling's on injured reserve. So they're going to be shorthanded against the Cardinals, Shereen. Yeah, and that's our top two receivers, Mike. Their top two wideouts. Um, Aaron Jones is in there, but Adams, 744 yards and three touchdowns. Lazard is the second among wideouts with 15 catches, 184 yards, and two touchdowns. So we've seen Aaron Rodgers do it before with kind of these no-name receivers. He's going to have to do it again, but this is an uphill battle uh, for Green Bay going into Arizona shorthanded. Not a good week for that. Well, and uh, uh, Robert Tunyon uh, is capable of doing some good things to Bobby, yeah. as Aaron Rodgers calls him. So, you know, I assume Rodgers got tested on Monday. You have to break the team down into three days of testing every week. And I assume they do the most important people on Monday to have the earliest possible notice if someone's positive so you can get them back as soon as possible. So my guess is Rodgers got his test on Monday and he's good to go. But boy, if they wouldn't have him, then they really would be screwed. But as long as you got Rogers, you got a chance and we'll see if they can find a way to overcome the Arizona Cardinals. My nephew is a huge Cardinals fan. And I, I, I respect his position on this because I texted him yesterday to tell him that Devontae Adams is out. He said, he said, that's a shame because I wanted it to be a fair game. I said, no, you take any break you can get. You got to learn this. You just came through a couple of games where your team was affected by COVID. Hey, if the team you're about to play is affected by it and it makes it easier to win, you take it and you run with it and you make no apology. So I'm trying to corrupt this, this idealistic young mind who wants to have the fairest possible indication of which team is better. Maybe I shouldn't have said well, and that. And DeAndre... Well, DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt didn't practice again today. Of course, they don't practice very much coming off a Sunday game into Thursday, but they have their own problems uh, if those two can't play. But I would expect they'd play. They both played, obviously, against their former team on Sunday and looked really good. Cardinals are going to have a huge advantage in this game, Mike. It's going to take a great Aaron Rodgers, and we've seen it done it before, and I'm not counting him out because it is Aaron Rodgers, but it's going to take a great performance by him to win this game. Yeah, I think that uh, we'll see the very best of Aaron Rodgers on Thursday night, and we'll see whether or not some of these other guys rise to the occasion. This is their opportunity to step up and do something special in primetime with millions watching as the 6-1 and Packers take on the 7-0 and Arizona Cardinals Thursday night. Before that, though, we put a bow on Week 7 with the PFTPM Awards. Michael David Smith will join us, and we'll hand out the non-hardware hardware from Week 7 when PFTPM continues right after this. Dallas Cowboys didn't play Week 7. The good news is that gave Dak Prescott time to heal. There's the photographic evidence. No walking boot for Prescott nine days after he suffered that calf injury. Doesn't mean he's definitely going to play on Sunday night. Doesn't mean he's going to be 100%, but no walking boot. As we get closer to week eight, Sunday night football, Halloween in Minnesota, Cowboys at Vikings. Before that, week seven awards. Michael David Smith joins us. He's got the, I assume that's Barry Sanders and not Billy Sims. Did Billy Sims wear 20? Billy Sims wore 20. Len Barney, Hall of Famer, also wore 20 for the Lions. And you know, when Barry Sanders got his number retired, he insisted that they also honor Billy Sims and Len Barney at the same ceremony. It tells you something about Barry Sanders. Well, that's awesome. Well, uh, MDS, 
We're going to start with Offensive Player of the Week coming out of Week 7. Take it away. Titans quarterback Ryan Tannehill had an outstanding game against the Chiefs, completing 21 of 27 passes for 270 yards. He also ran for a touchdown. You know, just about the only thing that the Chiefs did well on Sunday was contain Derrick Henry, who only averaged three yards a carry, ended up carrying 29 times, so he had some decent yardage. But the, the it didn't really matter that they contained Derrick Henry as well as they did because Ryan Tannehill was just moving that offense all day. That offense is more than just Derrick Henry. I love your pick of the Aggie great MDS. I'm going to go with a different high school, Texas high school product, and that's Matthew Stafford. Playing his former team, he just didn't let it affect him at all. Played very, very well, as we know. 334 yards, three touchdowns. He was efficient. It was really a business-like win for Stafford and those Rams. They had to overcome their special teams. Could have picked Cooper Cup because he had a great game as well. But Matthew Stafford going against his former team, Mike, that was a big one for him to win, I know. I'll go from Texas to Florida, the Florida native who played at South Florida. And for the Orlando Apollos of the AAF, Dearness Johnson, 22 carries, 146 yards, and a touchdown for the Browns. You know, a lot of people just assumed the Browns were done. And I almost picked the Broncos to win that game. I changed my pick midstream when we were doing our picks podcast on Thursday because I realized the Browns are going to be desperate to win this game at 3-3. Three and three. And I didn't know what to think about Dearness Johnson going into that game. But it wasn't just the offensive line. He had great vision. He had burst. He had speed. And he got better as the game went on. That's what you want in a workhorse tailback. And he was great on that final drive that iced the game and secured the 17-14 victory. So, Dearness John, and there are plenty of other guys we could have picked. I felt bad leaving off Joe Burrow. But Joe Burrow is going to get his share. I don't know how much even more of an opportunity Johnson's going to have to play. So we got to give him the not trophy, not piece of paper, not cash prize that goes with the distinction of Offensive Player of the Week. All right, Defensive Player of the Week, MDS, who do you have? I have Packers linebacker Devondre Campbell, who was kind of an afterthought free agent signing. Got a one-year contract this summer. I don't think we paid a lot of attention to it. But he has been outstanding all season, really, but especially Sunday against Washington. He had 10 solo tackles, two forced fumbles. You can see right there, he was the person behind that stuff on the quarterback sneak on fourth and inches. Uh, The Packers' defense looked early this season like it was going to be a major liability, but Campbell has been part of an impressive turnaround. Well, I'm going to stick with the Rams, and I'm going to go with Jalen Ramsey. It was a tougher game than expected for the Rams, and on his 27th birthday, he made perhaps the biggest play in the game. The Rams were leading only 25-19 in the fourth quarter when he intercepted Jared Goff in the end zone and that really stymied the last chance that the lions had to come back he ended up with six tackles a quarterback hit a tackle for loss an interception a pass defense in other words jalen ramsey really was jalen ramsey mike yeah and jpp was the jpp of old for the buccaneers on sunday and that 38 to 3 win all the talk was about tom brady and something about a football that ended up i don't know i can't remember the details there hasn't been much discussion about that football this week (laughs) We've overlooked that defense. They throttled the Bears, holding them to three points, and Jason Pierre-Paul, two sacks and a forced fumble against Justin Fields and company as the Buccaneers made it look easy against one of the teams that beat them last year, that Thursday night game at Soldier Field. This time around, the Buccaneers destroy the Bears. All right, rookie of the week time, MDS, who you got? I got Falcons tight end Kyle Pitts, the fourth overall pick in this year's draft. He had the best game of his young career on Sunday. Had seven catches for 163 yards. Kept on making big plays, including back-to-back big catches that put the Falcons into field goal range for their game-winning kick. Pitts really looks outstanding. Well, we've got to give the Bengals at least a little bit of love. So, Jamar Chase, you're my choice for Rookie of the Week. I would argue that he's already one of the top receivers 
in the league, uh, and he's only played a handful of games. He's second receiving yards in the league with 754. He's, 20, uh, he's 24th in receptions with 35. So that means he's averaging 21.5 yards per catch. He's got six touchdowns. Mike, he was outstanding again on Sunday against the, Ra- against the Ravens. We're not talking about a team that has lacked defense. We're talking about the Baltimore Ravens, 201 yards and a touchdown for Jamar Chase in that game. And the one thing, let me just let me just rant for thirty seconds because people say, "Oh, I thought he couldn't catch." He couldn't catch. That was the issue in he August. Didn't. He couldn't catch, and he overcame it. And it's great that he overcame it. He told me after one of their early season games, he didn't have the right focus in the preseason games. You know, to to go and play for just a little bit, you don't get as locked in as you do for a full game, and that lack of focus hurt him. He was candid about it. That's a better explanation than the football doesn't have white yeah. stripes on it. And he said that, too. It's not like somebody else came up with it. He did. And it's great to see what he's doing. I'm rooting for him to keep it going. It's fun to watch. All right, for me, it's Mac Jones. His numbers weren't spectacular. 307 passing yards. That's good. They finally got a home win. That's better. But 54-13. to 54-13. to 13. He's the captain of that ship. Shereen, do you know the last time that the score of an NFL game was 54-13? to 13? Do you happen to know the teams that were involved and what year it was? It must have been the Cowboys and Vikings. 1970, 54 to 13, and the Vikings won. Obviously, if it had gone the other way, I wouldn't have mentioned it at all. All right, Coach of the Week, <laughs> MDS, who do you got? You know, we don't often pick losing coaches. We certainly don't often pick coaches of winless teams. But Lions coach Dan Campbell coached the right way in Sunday's loss to the Rams. We had the high-risk, high-reward strategies like two fake punts, a surprise onside kick. Those are the things that bad teams have to do to beat good teams. They ultimately didn't win, but they played a lot more competitively against the Rams than people expected. And I give Campbell credit for competing in a year when some people thought the Lions just would not be competitive at all. MDS, you know, when you're around people, you figure out if they can do it or not, or you think you know if they can do it or not. Dane Campbell and Rich Passaccia are two guys I was around for a really long time, and I thought they would both be really good head coaches. And I think so far, I know Passaccia is only two games into his career as a head coach, but I think both are showing that they can be head coaches in this league. Having said all that, my choice this week is Mike Vrabel because we had questions after two games this year how good the Titans were. That opening game against the Cardinals when they didn't show up at home, I mean, they just got killed in that game. And then the overtime loss to the Jets, we had questions. But in a six-day span, they beat the Bills and they beat the Chiefs, and I think we're now talking about the Titans as one of the best teams in the AFC, Mike. And I think they learned from that loss to the Jets. That's one of the things Tannehill told me after the game they got to play a full game. You can't take any game for granted. You can't take any situation for granted. you got to show up every single week or you will lose. There, there will be no question about it. You will lose if you're not ready to go. For me, and I know he was one of our selections last week, but Zach Taylor, the Ravens or the Bengals coach, to go into Baltimore and do to the Ravens what they did. And they out-Ravened the Ravens by confusing that defense. You know, that defense had done a very good job of confusing offenses most recently, the Chargers. Justin Herbert said, this is a point Mike Golick made on PFT Live, that he, he, they saw things that they hadn't seen on film. Well, the Bengals did that to the Ravens. C.J. Uzama told me that after the game, and I saw something on Twitter. Somebody had found a play where earlier this year the Bengals ran a screen pass, and they used that exact same look, but this time around the ball went down the field to C.J. Uzama for one of his long touchdowns. So the, uh, the Bengals with Zach Taylor, 5-2, and two, and they get the big win with the Baltimore Ravens. And that concludes our awards for Week 7. MDS, thanks as always for some of your time. Shereen Williams and I will be back after the break with the trades that we would like to see as the deadline is only seven days away. We'll do that next year on PFTPM. All right. We are one week away from the closing of the trade window for the 2021 season. It won't open again until the first day of the league year, March 16, 2022. So how about some trades we would love to see before the trade deadline? These are not predictions. These are not reports. 
We believe Deshaun Watson is going to be traded from the Texans at some point in the course of the next week. These are just ones we'd like to see. And, of course, when they get flagged, it means they never happen. So let's go ahead and put the kibosh (laughs) on six trades by saying we'd like to see them happen. Shereen, you're up first. Well, you know, Brandon Cooks knows all about trades, right? He went from the Saints to the Patriots for a first-rounder. He went from the Patriots to the Rams for a first-rounder. He went from the Rams to the Texans for a second-rounder, so his price seems to be going down. You look at a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, Mike, and what they're doing on offense, which is struggling a little bit, and I think they're a better team or were a better team offensively when they had Sammy Watkins there as that third receiver. Now, I know that Sammy Watkins missed most of last year, but I still think they were better when they had him. So why not Brandon Cooks for a second rounder to the Chiefs? I just think that would help improve that Chiefs offense. He's fifth in the NFL with 45 catches, 502 yards, and a touchdown playing mostly, by the way, with Davis Mills. If he can do that with Davis Mills, imagine what he can do with Patrick Mahomes, Mike. And it would be fitting to see Brandon Cooks get traded somewhere else uh, because he has been kind of hot potatoed around the NFL during the eight seasons he's been in it. And the Chiefs clearly have that need. They picked up Josh Gordon. Patrick Mahomes was so excited about Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon hasn't done much of anything for the Chiefs so far. I'm going to stay at the receiver position because this is one I've been keeping an eye on, which means it's not going to happen. Odo Beckham Jr. from the Browns. to the Green Bay Packers, who could really use him Thursday night. If they're going to do it, now's the time to do it. Get OBJ on board. And he will have had his full week of rest because they played last Thursday night. He has that shoulder injury. But assuming, and obviously Devontae Adams will be back at some point, but Adams and OBJ with Aaron Rodgers, are you kidding me? What an offense that would be if they can get the ball to him. I mean, that's the problem with the Browns. He's getting open. He just doesn't get the ball the way he should. And he's been very good about not complaining. But my guess is deep down, he'd like to go to another team where, number one, he thinks he can win. But number two, he thinks he can do more to be part of the effort to win. The Packers, to me, would be a perfect place, which means it'll never happen. Shereen, what else do you have on your list? On my list, my next one is Marlon Mack. I mean, he's requested a trade, so we think he probably will get traded or we'd expect him to get traded. And you look at a team like the Ravens. We know they had all those injuries that they had at the running back positions. He's buried on the Colts' depth chart. He's requested that trade. He's Jonathan Taylor and Niam Hines are their running backs. But in his career, Mike, he's averaged 4.4 yards per carry. He's been really good carrying the ball. He had 1,000 yards just in 2019. Lamar Jackson is the Ravens' leading rusher. I think they need another running back. If you pair him with Latavius Murray, I think that gives them a good one-two punch because they're relying on all those old guys, the Le'Veon Bells and Devontae Freemans and all those guys who just haven't gotten it done. I think Marlon Mack at his age still has something left in the tank. They have five fourth round picks, so they no fifth rounder, so they could trade a fourth round pick and get Marlon Mack and maybe get another pick in return too. Did you mention Naheem Hines simply so that I would then be able to compare him to Jackie Smith for the drop that he had the other night that caused me to text to our PFT group that that, that Jackie Smith says, wow, why did he drop that pass? Uh, way back to Super Bowl thirteen. Look it up, kids. You'll enjoy it. Uh, Shireen didn't enjoy it in real time because uh, no. it may have contributed to the Cowboys not winning Super Bowl thirteen. 35-31, that was the most exciting Super Bowl of all of them to that point. To have that kind of a and- score and that kind of a back-and-forth game, it was great. Okay, trivia question for you. Do you know who recovered the onside kick? Cowboys onside it- kick. Do you know who recovered it? I'll just say Hollywood Henderson for, oh, for the Steelers. I don't remember. In, for the Steelers. Tony Dungy. I don't even remember, recovered the I don't even remember that. I don't remember an onside kick. Well, I'm and pretty I sure the that game. was the Super Bowl wow. he recovered. I'm pretty sure. Don't hold me to it, but I'm pretty sure Tony Dungy to recovered the onside I kick. Don't, I don't doubt you. It was a long time ago, and my memory's starting to fade. All right, here's another one that I like, which will never happen. And we've been talking about it and writing about it, but – Russell Wilson clearly wanted out. He can say whatever he wants after the fact. They were sending the messages that he wanted out. He wasn't happy with his situation. He wants to be legendary and iconic. He said so himself to Laura Oakman of Fox earlier this year. The team is keeping him from being the level of player that he wants to be, to have the legacy that he wants. And the Seahawks stink this year. They're 2-5. and five. Now, one of the reasons is he got injured. But 
I assume he's going to ask for a trade after the season. They're not going to turn this thing around and get close to the Super Bowl. They haven't been to the NFC Championship since 2014. So if he's going to ask after the season, why not? Why not make a run now? And the Saints, wouldn't, wouldn't the Saints be interested if they could get Russell Wilson right now? I mean, all due respect to Jameis Winston, there's just something not there. He's not clicking the way that Sean Payton needs to be clicking with the quarterback, and I think Russell Wilson would, and I think he'd run the offense pretty much the same way Drew Brees did with the prettiest deep ball in the NFL on top of it. Or the Browns, Ohio native, at least born in Ohio. I don't know where he grew up. I think he moved around a little bit. I think Virginia is where he grew up, but Ohio is where he was born. That would be something if he would end up with the Browns because, hey, frankly, the quarterback position is what's holding the Browns back from being a Super Bowl contender. In my opinion, I think you'd agree with me, Shireen. So, again, another one that I would love to yeah. see happen that I don't think will happen, but it's fun to think about it. And we'll never know for sure, but I'd suspect that, that at some point Mark Rogers, Russell Wilson's agent, makes a phone call this week just to say, hey, you know, if you're thinking about it, maybe now is the time to do it. But I can't imagine they would do it. Yeah, I can't imagine they'd do it either. But, Mike, he's got to miss one more game, and then they have their bye week, and then he could potentially come back that next week. They're going to be out of it essentially by then. I know we have 17 games, but let's be realistic. The Seahawks are not going to the Super Bowl, which is what he wants. They're 3-5 and five in the postseason since those back-to-back Super Bowls. This is a team not headed in the right direction. And they're missing draft picks, by the way. So maybe it's time that they blow this thing up and start over and start over by trying to get draft picks out of Russell Wilson. They can get a ton of draft picks if they trade Russell Wilson. So... Yeah, I'm not going to be surprised if they at least agent makes a phone call to the Seahawks and said, hey, if you're thinking about it, we've heard this before, here's the teams that Russell would approve a trade to. And the Saints was one of the four teams on the list before the season. And right now, the Bears, Raiders, and Cowboys, the other three, they're not in a position to do it. Uh, The Saints probably would be. And maybe the Saints will be where he ends up after the season. Maybe it'll be Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson playing for the Saints after 2021. All right, give me another one, Shereen. Well, we know the Buccaneers like adding big-name players. There's a guy in Denver that's really buried on the depth chart who's a big name, and that's Kyle Fuller. But since Ronald Darby came back, he's not seeing the field. He had only two defensive snaps the other day. It's been Darby and Pat Sertan and Bryce Callahan in the nickel. He's not playing. He could help the Buccaneers. I know they've got some of those cornerbacks are going to be coming back off their injuries, but you can never have enough cornerbacks, as the Buccaneers have found out. They've been all in the last two years to win this thing. I think they need still some cornerback help. In my mind, he's better than Richard Sherman. I would go make this trade for Kyle Fuller and go all in again. Um, And that makes a ton of sense, especially because he has fallen down the depth chart dramatically in Denver. Although Denver, hasn't Denver made a couple of trades recently, like Stephen Weatherly, and they got a linebacker from the Rams. Like, what do they think is going on here? What do they think they're going to do? They're not going to suddenly become contenders, but maybe the way they look at it, they're not that far away from the seventh seed, and they're not ready to give up. And Vic Fangio... You know, he knows his future is riding on whether or not they can turn this thing around. So maybe he was lobbying for the pieces that he'll need to try to to try to turn it in the right direction. Last one for me is Eric Ebron, who has diminished in Pittsburgh on the depth chart there. Uh, Fryermuth, Pat Fryermuth, the the rookie, has gotten more reps, and Ebron recently talked about it. And I look at the Rams, and they're always looking to add people. And I know they have Tyler Higby, but they lost Gerald Everett in free agency. And Higby's only got 27 catches for 248 yards and a couple of touchdowns so far this season. Ebron's a guy who has performed well in spurts in his career. And it, it, if, if he's for some reason available, you know, the Rams seem to be in on everyone. It wouldn't surprise me yeah. if they try to get the guy who the Lions took back in 2013 when Aaron Donald and OBJ were both on the board. And I still don't know why was it 14 or 13 i still don't know why they they took ebron over aaron donald because they had clear needs at defensive tackle because ndamukong sue and nick fairley were entering the final years of their contracts i think it was 20 i can't i can't remember it was 13 or 14 either way either way it was one of the two 2014 thank you thank you it's 2014 but uh regardless ebron a first round pick who has had some moments he can have some moments with the rams and uh he would be joining a team that you know could be one of the teams with an inside track to make it to the Super Bowl, Shireen, in the uh, in the NFC. 
Well, if they're looking at any position, that would be a position for the Rams to shore up for sure. And if you got him with those receivers, look out. They'd be hard to stop on offense. And I know we say that about a lot of teams. We say about the Buccaneers offense and the Cowboys offense, but they would be another one that, that just get another weapon added to already a bunch of weapons that Matthew Stafford has at his disposal. And I didn't even think of this, but it reunites him with Stafford. I didn't even think of that. That's so right. it's all the yep. more reason for the Rams to get Eric Ebron, assuming, because we always assume that if there was a past working relationship between two players or a player and a coach or a couple of coaches that they want to work assuming. together. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they, sometimes they reach their <laughs> lifetime limit, yeah. as Shireen has with me. Like if at some point down the road we're floating around in different spots, like, oh, maybe they'll work together again. They work together past. Shireen would say, no, I think I've had enough of that. Of that guy. Uh, All right, let's take a break. When we return, we got some questions that we will answer, and we'll talk a little bit more about my first favorite football player of my life who turned 70 today, Chuck Foreman. More PFTPM right after this. Chuck Foreman, first-round draft pick of the Minnesota Vikings back in 1973, and that was the year that I first started to really pay attention to the NFL. I got my Chuck Foreman hoodie that I bought from ChuckForeman.com. I actually have two of them, Shereen, because I ordered one last year. And when I got it and I pulled it out and I put it on, it's like, this is so comfortable. This is great. It's a perfect time of year for something like this. And I looked at the back and he had signed it. It's like, well, I can't wear this thing if he signed it. Great move <laughs> by Chuck Foreman because it got me to buy another one. So I got two, as the kids That's say, awesome. one, to, one to rock and one to stock. They say that about shoes, they I tell me. It. So, uh, but Chuck Foreman was just awesome. And some of these highlights from the old days when they played outdoors and the snow was flying, he had a picture from a Thanksgiving Day game before he was in the league posted on his Twitter feed recently of the Vikings and the Lions outdoors in the snow. I mean, that's just when football was a different kind of thing. And the goalposts are up near the goal line and guys were running into him. And look at all the hazards out there. It just, and, and he was great because he was a dual threat. Runner and receiver. He had the spin move. Um, and uh, he, he came within, in 1974, I believe, 74, 75, 75. He came within six or seven yards of leading the NFC in rushing yards, in receptions, and touchdowns. Wow. Because um, he had like 22 that year, and O.J. Simpson had 23. But in, in the AFC, but Jim Otis, then of the Cardinals, had like 1,076 rushing yards, yeah. and Chuck Foreman had 1,070. So I remember being very disappointed by that. It was also the year, that was, that was 75, that was also the year that the Vikings yep. played on a Saturday in Buffalo, and Chuck took a snowball to the eye during that game in Buffalo <laughs> late in the season. And of course, that was the same year that culminated December. Don't play it. Please don't play it. December 28, 1975, the Hail Mary. Don't, don't play the Hail Mary. Let, let me enjoy the day, Shereen. Chuck Foreman um, Day. Yeah, we don't need it on Chuck, Chuck, it's Chuck Foreman, Foreman day. day. It's not Drew Pearson Day. We could play it on Drew Pearson Day. But, but Chuck, Chuck Foreman, was just, it was just awesome. And it was that special time for me when I was falling in love with the NFL. And, uh, it, and I've kind of gotten to know him a little bit via Twitter. Why are you doing this? Why? You know, on Chuck Foreman's birthday, one of the worst days Poor of his Chuck. life. we got to remind him of this. But, by the way, the Cowboys and the Vikings get together again in, uh, yes, they do. in Minnesota on Sunday night, Shireen. All right, let's answer some. You got any memories of, of Chuck Wait, Foreman? How, I mean, how much? How, I want to know how much that football was worth and who has it. You know, like Tony Dorsett's 99-yard football has never turned up. Some of those old footballs, I bet, are worth a lot of money. If we knew where they were. Well, and I interviewed Drew Pearson years ago, and we've talked to him a few times since then when he got to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And after he had, I think I, I think I interviewed him the, the first time after that epic rant at the draft in Philadelphia yeah, right. where he just kept going and going and they were booing him and it was great. He uh, told me he threw that, that football over the scoreboard and basically out into the parking lot. So somebody saw a football, I assume, picked it up. took it home, got a football. No idea that it was that football. Not that anyone in Minnesota would want that football. I know what I would have done with that football if it had come my way back in 1975. It would have been put out in the backyard, (laughs) doused with lighter fluid, and put ablaze. All right. 
Isles Carrick, Kazrick, 17. Why aren't the Eagles mentioned when talking about the Deshaun Watson trade? They have a great roster and a lot of picks. I don't know that I would say the roster is great. I think that Watson's not interested in the Eagles. And I think the Eagles yeah. are, are one of the teams that is overly concerned about the unresolved legal issue hovering around Deshaun Watson, Shereen. Well, yes, and I'm curious why he's interested in the Dolphins, frankly, because is it just living in Miami and South Florida? Is he thinking about living there? I mean, there are better rosters and better places to go than Miami and some of the weapons they have. I, I know they got Jalen Waddle, but that that's curious to me. But, yeah, he has final say, and I'm just guessing that the Eagles aren't on his list of teams, but they certainly could use an upgrade at quarterback, Mike. Dr. J144, are the 49ers the most disappointing team in the NFL? Shereen, what do you think? Uh, I, yeah, they're right up there for me. I picked them to win the West. I thought they would come back. I, everybody was healthy. They had the injury problems last year. I expected more out of this team, and they just haven't gotten it done. So, you know, I, I read somewhere the last couple of days that John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have, have had the longest honeymoon in the NFL. They did get to a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. But I'm wondering how long of a leash they're going to give them if they have another losing season this year, Mike. If you take out the 2019 season when it went to the Super Bowl, they have been horrendous, frankly. And Peter King pointed out earlier today in a video that we did for Yahoo that the 49ers, even with 2019, are eight games under 500 since Shanahan and Lynch arrived. And I think to the Gruden Raiders, before everything happened a couple of weeks ago, when Gruden was clearly in charge, Mike Mayock was the guy who was hired to be the GM yeah. and set the table for Gruden. And Mayock was going to get run out the door if they didn't make the playoffs this year. Now that's all changed, obviously. But I think the same thing potentially could happen in San Francisco where Lynch is gone and they get a new GM. You know, usually the GM hires two coaches before the GM's fired. In this situation, the coach may hire two GMs before he's gone, but I think Lynch could be in trouble. I think Shanahan may need someone else to use those draft picks and help him set that table if they want to turn this around, but it's not going well, and I agree with you. They're extremely disappointing at 2 and 4. They've had their bye week. I hate once a bye week start because you have to factor in have they played seven games, six games, eight games, seven games, whatever. All right, last one, New York Knicks. Shereen, who do you have more confidence in, your Aggies next weekend against Auburn or the Cowboys at Minnesota on Sunday night? Well, I said that the Cowboys would split games at New England and at Minnesota. Obviously, they won the New England game in overtime, so I still think they lose this game at Minnesota. And I'm not – you brought this up earlier, Mike. I'm not convinced that Dak Prescott's calf is going to be 100%. In fact, I would be surprised if it is 100%. He's going to have to stay in the pocket. He's going to have to get rid of the football. He's not going to be able to take hits. So I still have questions about how he is going to play against the Vikings. Tough place to play in that dome. I like the Vikings in this game, Mike. Hey, I know what you're doing. You're doing the emotional hedge. Because you, 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 you pick the Vikings and the Cowboys win, you're a winner either way. You can't lose. I, I don't think the Vikings are in the same class as the Cowboys, even if Dak Prescott is hampered. Now, if he doesn't play, that's a different story. Because Cooper Rush versus the Vikings, I think the Cowboys have a problem. But I think Dak is going <laughs> to yeah. end up playing. And I think the Cowboys are going to win that game. And that is not an emotional hedge from me. Thanks for some of your time. We'll see you tomorrow morning for PFT Live.